My name is Ashley, and this is Let's Talk Dispatch. I knew that. <laughs> You're going to do it. Do it really well. And I believe the world needs more dispatchers. So on this show, with the help of my guests, we will educate, empower, and support the heroes behind the headset. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch with me. Ashley, the Raspy Dispatcher. Uh, I'm very excited for today's episode. I know that a lot of the focus of my podcast and of the Raspy Dispatcher is on getting more dispatchers under the headset, but there's definitely a reality that we need to talk about as well, for which is transitioning out of law enforcement, transitioning out of dispatch centers out of being a first responder and what that looks like for folks. So today my guest is a police services officer at a municipal PD, and they have experience as an officer, detective, and a sergeant. And we're going to be talking about transitioning out of law enforcement, how our mindset and our perspective shifts. And during that transition, as well as the creation of their LLC, Next shift, my guest today, Jessica Flores. Hi, Jessica. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for being willing to jump on with me. Absolutely. I feel like we we just kind of stumbled upon each other in the great world of social media. Um, I saw your page and liked what you were doing. Was like, hey, can you come to my show? <laughs> Which was an absolute honor. You were the first person to ever reach out, and be like, hey, Aww. let's do this. And I was like, dispatch, sure. <laughs> <laughs> So, so cool. So tell us a little bit about how you got into public safety, your journey so far. It sounds like you've done a little bit of everything on the law enforcement. I sure have have. the past, I would say 17 years have been, well, they flew by, first of all. Um, I was 21 years old when I got into law enforcement and everybody asks me like, what drew me to it? And I wish I had an answer. Like, I wish I knew and could pinpoint something. I tell everybody that subconsciously seeing my grandpa, he was a police officer, bring us donuts in the Sunday paper in his squad car every Sunday when I was growing up. Like, I think subconsciously it like put it in my head, like, this is cool. I can eat donuts and hit this button that makes a siren go. Like, cool. (laughs) Definitely. It's it's the donuts, everybody. I think it was the donuts. But I mean, he died when I was 10 Mm -hmm. and I went to his funeral. It was the first funeral I'd been to and to see the community of law enforcement and what that was, he was a Marine as well. So to see that, it was just something that I had never seen. And I was like, wow, that is really something special to be a part of. And I think also subconsciously it was like, wow, something bigger than yourself. Again, I was 10. I had no idea what that even meant then. Um, And then as I grew up, I got very interested, if you will, in the CSI show, the original, all the other ones suck, but the original. (laughs) Oh man, I'm telling you what, they just ruin it when they do too many. Um, But I got very into that, the court TV, like I was that nerd, like, let me sit here and watch Scott Peterson go to trial for this murder. And what are all the facts? And even OJ Simpson, I was 10 years old. Like Mm. it just from 10 years old on, I swear it was just like what I wanted. Um, And the more shows I watched, the more I was like, these victims need a voice and I'm going to be that voice. I want to be a detective. That's my only goal here. I want to be the voice for those who can no longer speak. 
whether because they're gone or they're just so freaking in fear for themselves that they cannot, they feel like they can't speak. Mm. That's, that's amazing. And I think as a dispatcher, it's interesting to, to think about being the voice for the folks who are calling, because from the moment that we're picking up the phone, we're, we're gathering evidence, right? So there is that reality of being a 911 dispatcher, the way we ask the questions, Mm -hmm. the background noise, the, you know, the, the victim who has, has the nerve to call right now, but when everything, the dust settles may not still have that nerve to speak to themselves, that recording it goes a long way. I, I would you agree as as a detective um, for the victims who are constantly dealing with with some trauma and struggle when they're when they're going through a situation like that? Absolutely, and I will tell you, your guys' training and the ability to talk to people—you are that first person that when they're getting involved with the police world. And sometimes it is their very first time getting involved with the police world. There are so many people who suffer and struggle for so long and they're so scared. And then they finally, like you said, they pick up that phone and they may not even be able to get words out. And that's where you guys kick in and your training kicks in and you can elicit information the way you need to without making them feel attacked or not making them feel uncomfortable. And sometimes the slightest piece of information that comes out on that phone call could be what really is a game changer. It's, it's so true. And I think that for, for dispatch specifically, I would imagine for detectives and law enforcement, I think one of, one of the things that we try to be very intentional with is not re-traumatizing folks. Um, I think about when victims call in to report like a cold rape or something of that nature. And so I was like, I need certain information to know kind of where the thing falls. Mm-hmm. I don't want to re-traumatize my caller. Right. Um, I would imagine you have that same kind of experience on your guys' end with the interviewing and, and because the, they got to tell me the dispatcher, then I got to give it to the patrol. Right. The patrol officer has to write their report. It gets kicked to a detective then the detective has to do their thing. So it's just kind of a, yeah. a of trying to gather that information and, and being intentional and kind with without re-traumatizing folks. Yeah. And the less they have to repeat it. And it's something that I don't think, again, it was 17 years ago when I got in 2006, it wasn't such a focus. Trauma-informed work has come up because has come around since, I mean, I left seven years ago and it was just then kind of being a thing. And then even more so now with like co-responders being able to help and things like that. But it is, it's such a sensitive thing um, when you're dealing with certain things, like some departments have you can't talk to juveniles hmm. because you don't want to, whatever the parent tells you, that's what you write in your report. And then it goes to a detective and they don't even talk to them. They set it up for a special interviewer who is trained to deal with children and to talk to them, to get the information that we need in a way that makes them feel comfortable and safe. And then again, they type out what they do, or we watch the interview and we type from there. So the less we have to have a victim talk about something, the better. So true. And yeah. so do you remember what it was like when you were first getting started, maybe your like first interaction with dispatch or kind of what that process was getting your feet into this line of work. Yeah. So like I said, I was 21 years old. I was a, a little baby. I feel like when I look back, I'm like, Oh my God, I was just so young and so naive. I came from a very small town. I think I had like 40 kids in my class and I chose to get my feet wet, if you will, in law enforcement by going to the big city here, which is Kansas City. So the city itself, 600,000 people or so, um, I got thrown right into the 
inner city, which is what I wanted. It's absolutely what I wanted. Um, and so, you know, your first week out of the academy, I had seven months of an academy. So I got very good exposure to the city, to the calls, to the people, because I did a ride along every single weekend, every single weekend in the academy. Mm -hmm. I wanted to hear the radio. I wanted to talk. And the people I rode with made me do my activity log. We'll do their activity log. They made me um, talk on the radio. They made me direct them where we were going on calls as long as it wasn't a super emergent call, like just so I could know geography. And if I messed up, they would honk the horn and do stupid shit to where like, I felt like a dummy and people were like, what is this cop doing? <laughs> um, but it was some of the best training. Cause you don't, you don't get that in the Academy. That yeah, was on me know. to get that. So I got exposed to a lot. I got to meet the um, dispatchers. And then at Kansas city, we had call takers and then we had dispatchers. They were mm-hmm. separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the first time going up there into that room and just being like, I could never, absolutely. <laughs> not. Like I will gladly stay out here on the street and respond to calls but these like six screens that they're staring at and they're trying to hear this shit and they're trying to like listen to what the officer said or that officer didn't answer. And now they're putting out an assist the officer mm-hmm. until they do an- like, no, zero chance. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm overwhelmed just looking at this. <laughs> <laughs> so like kudos to dispatch and then the call takers like they're like you said, there are not enough of you. That's for sure. <laughs> Before we continue, we wanted to take a moment to thank our partners at Prepared. You can learn more about the awesome support and technology Prepared provides to first responders by heading to prepared911.com. Partners like Prepared help to continue our mission of supporting, empowering, and educating the heroes under the headset. You can learn more about our resources and partnerships by heading to theraspydispatcher.com. Now let's get back to the show. Awesome. And it's so true because when I think about like having to raise the officers, like, because for folks who don't really have an idea, like we have, we're, we're responsible for, for the officers when, when we're working um, our radio specifically, but in general, we're responsible for the officers. So if I go one alpha 25, you copy, and then there's just silence. You're like 51 alpha 25. Hello. You there? No answer. You're like, Oh, they're going to make me beep. Okay. Beep. 51 alpha 25. All right. No, no answer. All units respond to the nearest mapping location that the unit was. And then that, unit will come up and be like, Oh, traffic for. Yeah. I was actually pooping. Sorry. (laughs) Someone, someone called. You have like people coming from all over the city. Code three. Cause you think something's wrong. And it's really like the, the button just got flipped off and. It's, it's a hot mess. It's yeah. Hot and mess. I had good enough dispatchers. I mean, they were great. They knew the tone of your voice because like you said, you, they were responsible for us. If you will, mm-hmm. they worked with us every night. So they knew, they knew a tone in your voice. And if it was off, um, let me start a second. Let me get somebody there mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. or just, I'm going to just hit the assist. Cause this doesn't sound right. This is like fighting. You can hear their microphone like ruffling. Yeah. Um, and I'm so thankful because when you're in a fight, and it feels like a fight for your life. You don't have time to reach down and like, hi, I need help. No, no, seriously. I'm, 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 I need some assistance. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You don't really have that chance. So to have a, 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 I don't know, an angel watching over you, if you will, um, that just kind of knows that was fantastic. And it took a lot of the stress away from the other stress that we had dealing with. Yeah. 
it's always funny when we talk when i when i talk to you know officers or dispatchers and and whatnot that Mm -hmm. that age-old beef that we kind of historically have you know with each other uh with mostly a good fun but the reality is like i couldn't go out there and do your part of the job you can just walk in and do my part of the job and there's just a general like understanding of like it's tough on both sides of this microphone but i do think that having a good relationship with the folks that are out there in the field creates environments for everyone to be more successful. Absolutely. And I will tell you, like, I will, at Kansas City, we did not go up and see dispatch a whole lot just because it was too big of a city. We were too busy. We were doing too many things. Um, But I mean, we respected them, but I don't think we appreciated Mm. what exactly they do. And then when I left that department and went to a smaller agency, my dispatch was literally right in the office with me. Like yeah. <laughs> we were in there all the time and always keep your dispatchers happy. First of all, I'm going to put that on. Loop. <laughs> like, keep your dispatchers happy. Um, but you really kind of got to see a little bit more of the day to day that they go through and how they handle it. And you're like, Holy crap. And then you get to realize the, uh, they're hearing things. They're not getting to see it. Um, and they're probably putting a lot of what ifs in their brain mm-hmm. for what went wrong. And, and that's some, I'll say trauma that you, that you can't explain because we're yeah. getting to see it. And for me personally, seeing it and having that answer, if you will, is easier mm-hmm. than playing the what if game in my head of whatever it was. Yeah. Now being questioned by a dispatcher on why I didn't do something on a scene. <laughs> Not my favorite. <laughs> you weren't we there. Never, we never ask questions as dispatchers. You weren't there, so that's why there was not an arrest made. But um, yeah, I think there was a respect, but a lack of appreciation. And I, I see that still today as a um, civilian at a department. I'm like, if you guys just sat in there for maybe 30 minutes, you might appreciate a little more. If you sat in my spot for 30 minutes, you might appreciate a little more what the civilians on a department do to kind of carry it. <laughs> Um, yeah. when you're out there, like there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. <laughs> no, there, there really is. And like you, I started at a, a larger agency and my comm center was in one of six of our beats. And so our officers that worked in that beat would kind of come in when mm. they would use our facility for their lunch and, you know, a clean bathroom yep. and things of that nature, have that. <laughs> but knowing my officers wasn't really, there wasn't that accessibility to them because it was such a big city. But at my new department, like like you, we got, this is the home base. We share it. I know all of these folks, all their in-betweens out, their family, their kid, like all those things. So it's just a really different reality dispatching in a center like that because you do get to know the officer. Mm-hmm. And when they do get in a tussle, it's not just a, a number on a board anymore. It's like, that's, that's Jessica. Mm-hmm. And she has this person, that person that she's trying yeah. to get home to. Yep. So it definitely hits a little different. I would say as a dispatcher, when you have the privilege of knowing the folks you're dispatching because of the setting you're in. Oh, for sure. In the smaller agencies, I think you take it a little more personal when somebody attacks one of you, you're like, yeah. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you you've gone through all these different avenues and roads in law enforcement and now you're kind of on um like you said a civilian side Mm -hmm. role in in a department and you created an llc called next shift want to tell me a little bit about that 
Yeah, and I will try to do a short version. So um, seven years ago, I lost my career to an injury to my gun hand. Um, it seems simple enough, but like I still like clicks if you hear it. I can't use it even like for pushups and things. On occasion, I can like I can force it, but then it's like like a swollen sausage for like a week. And it's hard to use or write or grip or anything. So I lost my career at 31 years old and it was the career I thought I would always have. Like I never doubted for one second that I was going to be a cop, that I would be a detective, that I would. And then I got sergeant and that was a disaster, but I got it. <laughs> I experienced it. Um, a squad full of people with under six months experience. Like it was like the most stress I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> but then I got hurt um, and then I lost it. And I would take that stress back all day, every day if I could have it back. Um, but that was seven years ago in February. I got out. Um, I spent about two pretty pissed off and then a pretty bad grief struggle, if you will. I didn't call it grief at the time. I didn't even really think of it, but all the emotions I went through. Oh yeah. That's the grief <laughs> right there that you go through. And I was like, Oh, and then one day, finally I was like, I'm done. Like, I can't, I have to take responsibility. I have to take the next step and do whatever it is. So after that, I mean, I did stupid jobs that I could just get and I could take and I didn't know how to necessarily like translate a resume. I just had my police resume basically. Um, and all the things I did and I would get so frustrated applying for jobs that I thought, why don't you see my value? Why don't you see my value? Look at all the things I've done by the time I was 30 years old. And I reflect back now and I'm like, well, you didn't value yourself enough to do the work it took to put forth the effort to change this resume around, to reach out for help, to put in for jobs that were out of your comfort zone. I was just trying to be an insurance adjuster. I was trying to be anything I could that seemed fitting for an ex-cop. Yeah. Um, and then I took these random jobs and looking back, every single one pulled something new out of me or showed me a new skill that I didn't know I needed. Mm -hmm. um, and it allowed me to grow into this person that I am today and some of the opportunities I took were with direct sales. I know some people have a huge, no way, absolutely not. Am I doing direct sales or can I even respect it? But that is what taught me that dreams are okay for adults. It's not just a thing for kids. You can be an adult. You can have dreams. You're never too old to set a dream. You're never too old to set a goal and to go after it. It was the thing that opened my mind to, oh, I could run a business, but basically somebody else does all of it. And I just have to show up and I have to be me and I have to build a brand and sell products, not by actually selling the products, just by showing up and being authentic. This is like a dream freaking come true. Holy crap. Like, wow. Um, I can be me and people will like me. Okay. Um, so that kind of opened the door and then 21. Okay. So like four years in five years, I was kind of like, I want my own thing. I'm tired of hiding behind a brand and I have such a much bigger mission that I can't, I haven't been able to figure out how to meld what I'm doing with direct sales, which was makeup and skincare mm -hmm. and even beach body, whatever. Um, <laughs> I haven't been able to meld that with this purpose of let me serve others and let me help them through the struggles of life. Like that's what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about helping people do that. I'm like, it's great to have great skin and really cool makeup. Like it is great. And like to work out from home, like that's awesome. But it wasn't like, it wasn't it. It taught yeah. me how to talk to people. It taught me how to network. Um, it taught me how to think differently because the biggest emphasis was on personal development, which I had always put a middle finger up to and said, I'm just fine the way I am. And I don't need that. And, you know, cop brain, like, mm -hmm you know, you know, type A, like, I don't need your help. Like, yes. um, and it made me really 
dial that back a little bit and actually do some work on the inside and be like, you're not all that actually. (laughs) And there is some work you can do. And if you're going to serve these people in the way, you know, you can, you've got to do some reflecting inside. And so it brought all of that up. And I was at lunch pissed off at my job, but I was with a client who became a friend and was like, people keep telling me I need to be a life coach, but I don't even know who the hell I would life coach. Like mm-hmm. what? And she told me about a friend of hers who was a CEO transition coach. And I was intrigued. And I'm like, well, what the hell is that? She goes, yeah. CEOs don't know how to not be a CEO at the end of their career. And like, it was a flashing light bulb. Like, I'm always like, God, can you give me a sign like flashing, please? Cause I'm not good at listening. And that was the moment. It was like, yes, it was like, let's talk <laughs> bright ass yellow, like flashing bulbs. And I was like, Gail, I need to stop you for a second. Cause holy shit, I can help ex cops that lost yeah. their career. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to be really rude. I need to type this all on my phone really quick. Cause I'm old and I'm going to forget. So I got my phone out. I typed up all these things. I told everybody I knew when I left lunch, I was like, oh my God, this is it. I went home. I wrote down pages of notes. I'm like, holy shit, how did I do that? But that's when you know you're onto something, right? Yeah. Like when you can just like talk about it or write about it. And it's just like, it's there. You're like, oh my gosh, I came up with a name. I came up with a logo, if you will. I came up with like a market research form. Hey, every cop I knew that was in it and is now not in it, please tell me what, <laughs> like, tell me some things about your transition and missing community. And feeling lack of purpose or identity were like the three top things that from retired people who got to live a full career um, to those who lost it medically to those who just didn't like, I think I'm done and left. That was the like three things, identity, purpose and community that every single person, that's what I miss. And I was like, okay, we can work with that. There's something we got to do here. Most of them didn't know what to do afterwards. Either they kept working and it was BS jobs. They're just like going through the motions like I did. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we can do something. So I came up with next shift because we all go like our next shift. And yeah. it just made sense to me. I was like, okay. Um, and I'm a big picture thinker. I'm not so great at the small things. So this is where I need like an integrator to dial me in a little bit sometimes. Be like, hi, <laughs> you said this. Let's do this one thing. And then like, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Um But I said, I'm going to start with cops because that's what I know. It's what I went through. Um, But my big picture is every first responder will have a part of next shift. It's going to be for fire. It's going to be EMS. It's going to be dispatchers. um, And it's going to be the significant others of all of those people because they're the ones often forgotten about. Mm. And when you are transitioning out of something you thought you'd always have and it it was your identity, those people on the other side next to us, like, Bless me. They're getting hit with it, you know. Um, Big old blood, you know. Yeah, it is not easy. And a lot of people don't make it through it. Mm -hmm. They don't. So it's Mm -hmm. it's my mission to help families get through this. That that is amazing. And I think like you said, it's one the community aspect of it and that uh that FOMO. Um, like even when I left my old agency after and I'm still obviously dispatching, but I left my old agency and they had a big critical incident that happened. There was a phone there like, oh, I could have been there helping them do that thing and work that that case. And but now I'm here at this different agency. So I only imagine the amount of like missing out and yeah. and um, and then and then there's a wall that goes up because you're no longer there. Right. So you, you're not privy to the same information that you were privy to 
And that's a snap in the face almost. You're like, I'm sorry, just last week. Last week, you would have sent me a copy of the tapes. And like now, I'm a civilian. And it's like, yeah. And and that's those are hard pills to swallow, I would imagine, for folks who are used to being called on when the things happen, you know? We're used to being in control. And when that control is taken from you. So what the market research showed me was retired people like, okay, I'm sure you miss those things but I'm not here to serve you. One, I don't know what that's like. And two, you got a whole career and you had a whole lot of resources given to you. Those of us who lose it when we're not expecting to, um, there's a whole, or even if you leave, because I left my first apartment, there were certain emotions that came with that and the burnout, that's where I left, why I left there. But when you're just forced out and you have no control over it, it's completely different. And you're like, oh my gosh. And sure, people initially will call and check on you and all the things, and then that stops. So you're like, wow, not only the career I thought I was going to have, some of these people that I served alongside and did A, B, and C alongside with, I thought would always be here. And now they're not. And that's something you can get over. But like, it's it's a slap in the face initially. You're like, wow. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm all alone. This is great. And when I got out, there were no resources. Like, I couldn't find any resource to help. And even now, when I was looking for ones to put together for Next Shift, I'm like, yeah, there's really nothing out here to like tell us how to navigate this transition. Mm -hmm. like at all so so that was that was pretty rough and it's another part of the mission and and I think for for folks who are um thinking about leaving Mm -hmm. I wrote a like a blog for 911 training institute and I kind of compared it to when an athlete plays their last basketball game you know it's like there's many reasons that we leave leave the court you know it could be an injury it could be time's just out it could be burnout you're not feeling it you know there's plenty of reasons but what do we do after how do we how do we go from this thing that's been our whole lives that we spend x amount of hours a day practicing for dreaming about preparing for and then it's just a hard stop and i think one of the big things that it's challenging is and you said you found challenging was taking that language and putting it onto a resume, all the wild things that we do in our roles as law enforcement officers, as dispatchers, you know, really being able to translate that language into a resume where folks outside of the community would see our value. And I think that is something a lot of people are struggling with. Yeah. And there are tons of resources out there I'm finding. um, And I will just say LinkedIn, If you're a first responder, get off the regular social media, like get yourself on LinkedIn, like go there for entertainment. That's fine. And follow me there, please. (laughs) But um, LinkedIn, that's where you're going to get to know me as those social medias. LinkedIn is where you're really going to make connections that can help you grow your network and grow your opportunities that I have. I think I just started actually using it in like January and it's just crazy. And the, the community that you left, it's there. These people will take the shirt off their back for you basically and do whatever they can to help you in whatever way. Um, The resume resources, there's tons of them out there. Like they're literally focused on translating first responder resumes. And I'm like genius because none of us had to do that while we were in the job by any means. Um, We just kept moving. (laughs) So yeah. And it's, and it's, I I can definitely vouch for the LinkedIn aspect of it because I, the last year or so for folks who've been following me know that I've, I've started to, branch out, make this podcast, meet with people. Um, And I find a lot of these people on LinkedIn as well. I mean, there's definitely a huge 
dispatch community on there are these folks who are doing these awesome, amazing things mm -hmm. outside of just answering the call for 911. Yeah. Um, there's a whole private sector that exists that if you aren't looking and, and don't know to look and aren't just out there in these certain spaces, you just will never know what is there. Yeah. And sure. I know the private sector can seem a little scary, <laughs> but I mean, there, for folks who are, who are coming to an end for whatever it is, again, be that like that ACL injury or just had enough, there is a world where you can go do impact people the way you impacted them in the field, uh, in a dispatch center in the private sector, yeah. still make good money doing it and still find that joy in that community that, that yeah. we long for in this line of work. Honestly, probably better money. And it's been so inspiring to see what some people have done. Um, you know, a canine officer retired, the dog retired with him. Well, now he is a consultant and he takes his dog to like schools and churches. They pay him to do sniffs when they need them or want them or whatever. And I'm like, perfect. Your dog's not dead for gosh sakes. He's still got a lot of life in him. Like yeah, he's trying to he do it. Like, stuff. <laughs> like go do that. But it was outside of the box thinking that I'm like, who would have thought like, sure. Yeah. Why not? Mm -hmm. It's so true. And I mean, what, what do when, when folks work with next shift kind of like, what's the process? What do you do when you work with people? How do you help them? Yeah. Like, what is a daily regular meeting look like for you with someone who's using your services? Yeah. So it's all still very, very new. And I want to be very transparent about that. I'm a little mistransparent. Like sometimes I think it kicks me in the ass when I do that, but hey, we love transparency here at the Raspberry Dispatch. Let me tell you, we are faking it till we make it on this side of the mic. So, you know, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Actually. Um, I had my first client call. Well, it's actually tomorrow, but we had like a discovery call hey. and we're talking and I was like, so you're my first client, just FYI, like, yes. are we good here? And he's like, yeah, and I, you can share in all the things. So he shared in the excitement with me, which I think is awesome. That's one of the things that you have to get through is your ego mm -hmm. when you're building your own business or brand. That is for sure. Um, nice. You know, <laughs> you know, um, so my, I have these things on the wall back here and I had gone through a business course, if you will, um, and spend a lot of money that was not necessary, but I learned a lot of things I didn't want to do for people. Um, and I think the, the goal of that was to create a group program for people, a group coaching program. Mm. And the more I looked at it, the more I, I'm like, one cops don't want to talk to anybody for help anyways. They definitely don't want to talk about it in front of other cops. So like this mm. is probably not going to work for me here. Um, I wasn't really gaining traction because I just started talking to this type of network mm. the end of last year. Yeah. Like I had tried for seven years to run so damn far away from law enforcement, despite my husband being in it. But I had to <laughs> Why does this patrol car keep following me? <laughs> but I had to so far remove myself in order to heal and grow and move on that I was clueless on honestly a lot of things. And then I just started this civilian job in November um, and kind of got integrated back into it. I started talking to these people in like November, January ish. Um, so no group course was going to launch at the end of January. I'm like, yeah. I literally just started building a network in this wow. arena. So let me just get that out of my head. Like it's back there and it's here for if I ever want it or need it. Mm. Um, but I knew that one-on-one -on -one was going to be the best bet for officers, at least to start out until they could build trust with me until they could get some results of their own and feel comfortable saying, Hey, Jess really helped me do a, B or C. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I put it down, it is to help people rediscover their identity because we've 
most of us have lost it. Um, redefine our purpose because you have to have one. You can't just like, oh, well, I lost my career. Now my purpose is that no, there's a purpose in the pain. And we just have to <laughs> unravel that and figure out what it is. Like um, and then reignite your passions because we all have passions, but oftentimes we're sleeping, we're working, we're sleeping, we're working. There's not a lot of time for the fun or the things that we enjoy doing. And if I can get you back to understanding and knowing that person you are behind the badge or what the microphone or whatever the situation might be, then we can actually move forward with the next career, the next shift, if you will, of your life. Um, Because often we focus on what we've lost and not what we can gain or what we we have gained by being out. And that's, that's really just the mission to get people to know who they are and then go find that career. Don't just rush out and get another job. You're going to be miserable. You're going to stay miserable. And if you're just trying to stay comfortable doing private sector investigator or private sector, whatever, sure. Yes. You're skilled in that. That is great. But is that really what you're passionate about and purposeful? Do you feel a purpose every day waking up and going to do that? Mm -hmm. If you don't, it's going to be a really long road for you. And we've got to figure that stuff out first and then get you into something. That's amazing. And I think that I feel like first responders, we like to talk to folks who get it. And I think you coming from the role that you were in, you're still got your foot in the door with some law enforcement, even as a civilian, Mm -hmm. folks are going to be more receptive to open up to someone who's been there, done that, sees a struggle and knows how to kind of guide through it. And I do want to acknowledge that getting something started is <laughs> tough. Okay. So talk about like imposter syndrome, like fighting through every day on the social media world of folks who have their opinions and will give it to you yes. just, just cause middle finger block button guys, right? <laughs> block button. <laughs> you know, so just the fact that you're out there doing the thing and you got your first client, like these are the moments, like I really try to, highlight um all the little moments because one day the Raspberry dispatcher is gonna be you know a multi-billion dollar company amen sister (laughs) i'm gonna look back on the days that i had a thousand followers and i'm gonna miss those days you know and i think having these moments like having having the light bulb moments writing the notes in the phone i mean my fiance yells at me all the time, like, stop sending me 30 ideas in a minute. Like, what? I just, like, I just need to put it down. If I don't put it down, how? What am I going to do with it? I have to tell right. somebody. Yep. And it's you, sweetie. Yep. I'm yep. sorry. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I think it's wonderful what you're doing. And, I, and you're only going to help more people. You know what I mean? Like, the fact that you got your first, it's only going to get better more awesome. I mean, you're already on the Raspberry Dispatcher. Let's talk. About Hello, that. I've made it basically. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what you said right there, though, is celebrating all the small wins. And I think so often in life and not just first responders, I know that's who we're talking to, but definitely in life, we wait till the big thing happens and then we'll celebrate. Ew. We don't celebrate those little wins. It's just not normal for us. And I think in the first responder world, we're just doing our job. And so all those little things that we do every single day that the normal public could not do, even if they wanted to do, mm-hmm. need to be celebrated. And we need to be celebrated. Our departments most often don't celebrate us like mm-hmm. like we could. It's just, hey, congrats, you did your freaking job. Like, yeah, like, oh, it's national whatever week. So we're going to we're gonna <laughs> bring And I remember getting promoted to sergeant and being like, 
I have no freaking clue what I'm doing. And holy shit, these kids are new and they're not really doing a lot. Right. But like, I need to instill in them that when they do something right, hit on that. Don't just ever come down on people. When I'm having a conversation with somebody, start positive, then get to the shit and then get positive again at the end of it. Little Oreo cookie method. Little Oreo cookie, like whatever you want to call it. But those were things you had to learn through doing it because you're like, mm-hmm. well, I got none of this shit and I have some really crappy leaders, but I'm, I want to be X, Y, or Z, or this is what I wanted in the leader. Look. And you're going to fumble. You're going to fumble. <laughs> you're going to not figure it out. Yeah. But writing people up for doing their job was the weirdest thing to me. But I was like, yeah. it needs to be done yeah. by somebody just so they have a little like, and they keep going. <laughs> Yeah. And I always felt like, um, I always think for, for supervisors that if we're intentional with building the relationship prior to the write-up, the write-up is going to hit more. It's going to, it's going to land softer and that person who's receiving it is actually going to hear it because if, you know, Sammy's supervisor never hasn't plugged in in 20 years only shows up to talk to me when something negative is happening. I could really care less what Sammy supervisor has to say about my performance when they don't even know me, you know, but if the supervisor who I interact with all the time asks how my day is, gives me feedback and constructive feedback. Cause me, for me as a dispatcher, I'm always looking to get better. I'm always wanting to learn how to do my job better, what tools I can use that are available that I'm not using. Um, That supervisor writes me up. I'm going to hear it better. I'm going to, there's going to be some tough love coming in that direction, but I'm going to be more willing to be like, okay, they know me. They understand that I do 90% 90% of the time do a good job. I'm human. And this is something I need to fix. Yep. You know? But yeah. Like you just said, like understanding we're human, we're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but dang it. You said something right before that. I can't remember what you said. No, I just ramble quite often. No, you said something that I was like, Dan, that is so, so right. But yeah, I need a notepad so I can just be like, tick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I really think it goes a long way. And then honestly, when we think about, um, moving on if we build that relationship with our supervisors we can have those honest conversations with them when we're nearing that exit and instead of secretly applying to every job on linkedin (laughs) on the work computer (laughs) when they're not in the room you know we can have those honest conversations and we can support our people while they're here and on their exit because it's our job to want the best for them and whatever that ends up being Mm -hmm. like we have to understand that and if it's not here or they did their time here guess what good luck over here like i want you to succeed in whatever you want to do um but also don't apply for every job on linkedin or indeed guys like i will tell you it will wear you the hell out like Mm -hmm. that is a piece of advice if you're looking to transition (laughs) kind of narrow your focus like somewhat Mm -hmm. Because when you're trying to do like redo your resume for every freaking job and you're trying to write a cover letter for every different type of freaking job you could even imagine, like mm-hmm. you're just going to exhaust yourself and you're going to be like, holy crap, or you're going to send the wrong one to the wrong company or like something <laughs> crazy, like narrow it a little bit and go from there. But again, let's get you figured out what do you want to do? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's so true. Like, what is the thing I tell people all the time and me and Casey, we're doing a uh, Casey Reeves are doing a virtual conference for thin gold line support um next week two weeks and 
she transitioned out and she's in the private sector okay. and I'm talking about you know promoting your best self when you're in the current in your current position at your PSAP and one of the main points of my part of the talk is like we are people outside of the roles that we have we we work at a business that happens to be in law enforcement and what is the thing that makes your heart sing and how can you make your day at your dispatch center filled with that as often as possible? Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think that's kind of the idea you're, you're preaching to when you're talking about transitioning is yeah. what makes your heart sing? Let's go, yeah. let's go apply for those jobs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even honestly, I'm about to buy some glitter pins because they make my heart happy yes. just for the front desk. Cause I'm like, it's not professional. It's not law enforcement, but you know what? F that I've been out for seven years. This is who I am. I love glitter. God darn it. And if I can be happy taking your stupid ass report while I'm at this desk with a glitter pin, then I'm going to be happier about it. Yeah. What do you do? Send SWAT, bring them on. Like <laughs> do what makes you happy. Lean into who you are. Stop being afraid to hide it. And it is, I had a revelation probably like a month or so ago on a live. I actually started getting teary and I was like, what's wrong with you? Ew. And you can cry when you're not a cop. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, oh, I know it's wild, right? Just un like, what's happening to me. <laughs> um, but I was talking and I've heard so many officers tell me things that they wish they could say, but they can't because they're on a department. So, and I feel this way myself being back at a PD, like mm -hmm. I have seen myself get very much more lit on like button and it's annoying. It's like, that's not mm -hmm. who I am. Like, ew. So like next shift really needs to take off. So <laughs> you hear that people, yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody hit a girl up, but I was on this live and I'm like, I got in to give a voice to victims who couldn't speak. And now I have that opportunity to give that voice to officers or first responders in general. Hey, what issues are you seeing? What issues are making you burned out? Hey, what issues are causing this extra stress on your department? Let me be the person because I just don't care anymore. I will, I will vocalize it um, for you. And I can guarantee that you're not alone. So by me vocalizing it and you hearing it, people are going to hear it. They're going to come and they're going to be like, holy shit, you too. Or wow, that happens at your department too. It just creates, again, that bigger community and that bigger, bigger than self, if you will, vibe. And I'm, I'm here for that. Yeah. And I, and I do want to encourage people. I like being super transparent. And I like being super honest about this line of work. It does have its struggles. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. It does have hard days. It does have hard realities that you do have to deal with. But at the end of the day, you are working for a business. A department is a business. And you have to realize that the department is going to protect the business. So you have to do things and put yourself in positions that protect yourself and practice your self-care and really make sure that you're not kind of following into the idea that, you know, you're living and breathing for this department. Cause at the end of the day, the department is a business and people are the ones who are making that up. And at the end of the day, you are a, a part of that business infrastructure and we have to really take care of ourselves because sometimes, and some people are in great departments and some aren't. You know, some departments have a long way to go, which is why we're having conversations like this, which is why we have things like Next Shift who are helping people transition out because our departments aren't focused on that, which good, bad, right, wrong, many reasons, you know, the reality is they are a business, we are people, and we have to protect ourselves in these matters. And they'll replace you tomorrow if you're gone. 
for whatever reason, if you're gone, they will replace you tomorrow. Or, I mean, our processes are forever long. They'll post your, they'll post your spot tomorrow. Yeah. Like it's, mm-hmm. you're not living for them. And it's so easy to lose your identity in a career like this, because like you said, you're, you're in it, you're living it, you're breathing it. You have to intentionally take time for yourself. You have to, you have sick time. You have mental health time. You have time for dear God's sakes, use it. Mm-hmm. Use it. Yeah. <laughs> Vacation time. Take a day off. Like it, it's heavy. It yeah. is heavy, the shit that we deal with. And it is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> and I tell people all the time, because you know, in, in I'm sure in patrol too, but in the dispatch world, you know, if someone calls out, people get forced in, their weekends get ruined. And right, right. I will never be upset at my coworker who is calling off because they are sick. They're legit having a thing, you know, and if you're constantly having the thing i'm going to be more wondering does my coworker need more help do they need more assistance like take it take the time i will come in that is part of the lovely cards we are dealt in this line of work but yes use your time off use it when you need it it is yours to use and if there is a department you are in who's telling you not to use it red flag <laughs> red flag, red flag, all the way. Um, and I'll even give a shout out to my girl, Five O Mental Health. Um, she's yeah. a new shirt. Um, she's another one that I interviewed on a next shift interview, um, which is something I just started as well, interviewing transitioned officers. Because yeah, I've got a story, but so many people have a story and they need to be heard. So I've started. People call it a podcast. It's not a podcast, not yet at least. It's literally Instagram live videos or like a Zoom that I post. I'm like, here's their story. What part of their story do you hear or see in you that can help you with this thought of a transition or this transition that was harder? Mm -hmm. Um, But she created this company and it's to help. She's working with departments and mostly chiefs to get mandatory wellness checks implemented into the departments Mm. because it's so freaking important. And it is the one thing we, we all want to brush under the rug. Nobody wants to admit that yeah, that was really effed up what I saw the other day. Like that yeah. was like, that was hard. Or like, mm-hmm. again, we, we saw, I've been saying this in interviews lately. We saw a football player collapse on the TV and America just lost their minds. Like, holy shit. Oh my God, this is ho- so horrific. And I'm just not going to be able to go to work tomorrow. Yeah. Well, guess what? And, and, and it's not a one up game. It's not yeah. a one up game, but I did that Olympics. multiple yeah. times a night. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I can decompress 100%. You're taught very early on to what's a desensitized, I guess you get desensitized to the mm-hmm. things that we see and it's not right, but yeah. it's how we can survive out there. It's how we make, make it work. But by implementing wellness checks or by implementing, Hey, you doing okay. And sure. People are going to be like, yeah, I'm fine. Leave me alone. Like whatever. And they're going to keep suppressing and they're going to keep moving on, but eventually that's going to catch up to them and it might not be something good. And I think <laughs> the, the implementation, the consistency of it, right. So yeah. like, it's like, Oh, they're making us do this thing. Yeah, I'm fine, Jessica. Why you keep asking me next month? Oh, you Jessica, I'm fine. And then it's like, well, Jessica keeps asking me, and I'm six months in, and I finally am gonna open up to Jessica. And I think that's that's the reality of implementing these big changes, especially when it comes to mental health. It needs to be consistent, it needs to be intentional, it needs to be genuine. Yep. I was gonna say intentional and genuine. It can't just be, hey, are you okay? Like once a month or once a quarter. It you need to work on actually showing you care about this person some kind of authenticity behind what you're asking it 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 is so true because without that i mean especially cops i mean smell bs a mile away you know like we know you're just checking this box and 
this isn't really to help us. This is just to say you're helping us. And yep. that's not the kind of support we want in departments in general from Absolutely. up to dispatch centers. You know, we want general, general, um, we want intentional supports, not pizza parties, right? That's like yeah. an ongoing joke. Cause like, you know, I think you said it right. Checking a box. I don't want to feel like I'm a box being checked. I do not want to feel like that. Yeah. Neither do I. <laughs> Neither do you. And you, we both know what it's like to build from the ground up kind of the mm -hmm. no like trust factor here. We're both having to build that factor with our, our networks and our audiences if we're ever going to get anywhere. And cops and darn first responders are some of the hardest ones to crack. Like, mm -hmm. I need you to know me. So I'm going to show up as me. If you meet me in person, you're going to see the same person you see online. Yeah. No difference here. I want you to like me, but I'm okay if you don't like me. I'm not for everybody. And I'm totally fine with that now. Um, and then you're going to trust me by, by knowing me and by liking me, you're going to eventually trust me. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you when you're going to trust me. Yeah. I can't do anything about that. I have to accept that I'm putting out there into the world what I want, what I think is going to be valuable and help people. And those men for it are going to come to me and those who aren't really set outcome. Exactly. And I think if you're coming from a place where it's genuine and it's the intentions are good, mm -hmm. that it's going to find the people it needs to find. And the folks who are, you know, I look at like my follow and unfollows. I have like a hundred follows a month, but I also have like 30, 40 people unfollowed me, you know, like there's, yeah, I mean, like, it's all good. Like it was here for you when you needed it and you don't need it anymore. And that's cool. Yep. I'm just trying to connect with folks, really push this narrative about dispatch, about the first responders in general, um, that we're here, that we have things going on that we need supports with and that, um, people who are interested in this line of work can find information about it. Cause I think that was kind of the biggest push for me for Rossby dispatchers like there's oh there's tons of things out there about becoming a cop right because that's right, right, right. Really what I wanted to do was I wanted to go to patrol and I was going to take the pellet B I was going to shape I was going to do you know I had to do this many pushes I had to drag the dummy I knew all that because it was all out there for me and then when I also applied for dispatch I was kind of like there's no like no one's talking about it there's no information out there so how can I as a civilian who has no uh, law enforcement in my immediate family go into these spaces and kind of be comfortable and know what I'm talking about and present my best self with no information. I just had that conversation at work the other day. They have an evidence tech position open. And I was like, Sarge, were you honest in there with like what people are going to have to do and see? Because me personally, I love crime scenes. Like I will watch crime scene photos and videos like all day long. I'm a weirdo. I get it. But I'm like, what can I find that maybe somebody missed? Like the, I'm just weird. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I love them. And you've got this nice little evidence tech job. Oh, you're inside all day and you're doing that. Are you telling people they're going to be dealing with bloody clothes and, oh, that's the bullet from when he shot himself. Like, are you telling people these things? Because yes, it could scare people off, but those aren't the people we want here. If they can't deal with it, they need to know ahead of time. You're going to look at crime scene photos and you're going to burn them to a disc. And it's going to be probably things you've never wanted to see in your life. And you'll never forget. Yeah. We need to be more transparent with our job postings across the board in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Just so people know why yeah. get them here if we can't keep them because they're like shocking on and they're just like, yeah, we're wasting money. <laughs> waste of money, a waste of time, a waste of them. And like, again, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm -hmm. And it, it's something you have to care about. And it's something you have to think about. So, so true. Well, what would 
what advice would you give someone who is considering a career in law enforcement, in dispatch, first responders in general? What is some advice you would give them? Um, Number one, don't listen to anybody who tells you you can't or shouldn't. Um, Number two, do, (laughs) yes, Uh ma'am. Number two, do ride-alongs as many as freaking possible with every different type of law enforcement there is. I want you to go ride with the sheriff because you need to see what that's like. If Highway Patrol, I don't know if they do, ride with them just to see what it's like. (laughs) You and their hat, they might not fit in the same car. I don't know, but like (laughs) ride with them. Go to a small department, like a smaller municipal department. Go to a big ass city where it's going to be just hopping. Don't Mm -hmm. ride during the freaking day. Ride at night. Mm -hmm. See what these officers, what these dispatchers are facing. So if you're riding, you're going to hear the dispatchers. You're going to know what's going on. If you're a dispatcher, you want to be go ride along. You're going to hear the dispatcher. You're going to hear what the officers are going through. You're going to see it firsthand and be like, and maybe it inspires you to be like, wow, I want to be this badass dispatcher on the other side of this microphone who can help whatever this is over here. Um, Same with fire EMS. If that's what you're wanting to do, like go do I don't know what rules are anymore, but if you can ride with them, ride with them, or at least sit along with them. If there's a citizen academy, do it. I was 18 years old and did a citizen academy. I was like 30, 40 years younger than every single person in the class. I was here for it. And I was like, I get to do another ride along. Cool. Like Mm -hmm. I did six by the time I was ever hired because I just freaking loved, I loved the idea of what was going on out there. Mm -hmm. But do that so you know you're not wasting your time. Like, don't put in for a big ass city if you're like, absolutely not. Wow. Like, I want this. Or if you're like, I'm not okay with my backup being 40 miles away or 20 miles away. Like, mm-hmm. maybe you need a city. <laughs> like, but to know those things, talk to as many people as you can. Get on LinkedIn. Make your mm-hmm. connections with people. Most officers aren't on just regular social media. Definitely yeah. not by their actual name. So <laughs> go to LinkedIn where people are a little like more guard down and willing to talk and things. Um, but that would be some of my biggest advice. But yes, don't let somebody talk you out of it. It's a career that is so fulfilling. You'll never forget it. Awesome. Yeah. Ride along, sit along, yep. go see the job <laughs> happening, see, yep. see it, smell it. See if it's something you'd want to see and smell yeah. for 10 to 12 hours of your day. Well, for um, sure. That is one thing. Oh, man. <laughs> You'll never get some of those out of there. It is true. I yeah. like the comfort of my desk where I can turn my little heater on when it's raining yeah. outside. And my officer's like, another call. I'm like, hey, there's a tree down. Someone's got to go move it. I'm going to stay here. You know? yeah. So there's, there's both sides of it. And both are thrilling. Some of my favorite, favorite times is going on ride-alongs with my officers. So it's I mean, a trip for sure. <laughs> yeah, it definitely gives you a lot of information as to what the folks are dealing with. And like you said, the different types of law enforcement agencies that you could be applying for. Because yeah. having a cover, as a dispatcher, having a cover that's 40 miles away is yeah. stressful, let alone the officer who's staring at the person in the face waiting. So well, I guess one other thing, too, is get yourself into an environment, I guess, because I... I knew I wanted to be a cop, but you had to be 21 to even apply um, and get hired. I didn't want to go work in a jail, but I felt like, okay, I'm working retail. I'm at least talking to people every day. I'm like seeing all different walks of life. If, if you've got it in you go work corrections, go work detention, go work. I don't know how old you have to be to be a dispatcher. Is it 18? Uh, yeah, it's typically 18. 18. Put yourself in a role and just get acclimated. Um, even a role like mine that I do now, it's very hard to train like a civilian for this role because it's a police services officer. We're doing everything but dealing with the suspect. 
Like we are taking the reports. We're answering every single freaking question that an officer writes or asks or handles. Um, Even if you're transitioning, if this is something you could do, you would be killer at it. You know what you're doing already Mm -hmm. and you're not in the weather. Hello. You're not wearing 20 pounds of gear. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And you're not dealing with suspects. You're not having to fight anybody. Mm -hmm. Like my sergeant every day is like, don't cut anyone's head off with a machete. I'm like, if that's my only thing, Sarge, (laughs) I'm good. I'm gonna yeah, make it every once in a while they call me officer and I'm like, oh, I have to move my gun off my hip, but yeah, yeah that's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's great. <laughs> so where do folks find you? How do they get in contact with you? They want to give all your information to their friends to hit you up. Where do they do that? Um, please and thank you. Um, mostly on Instagram. It's where I just have fun. It's where I like to, like I said, you'll get to know me. The underscore Jess Flores um, is my personal page. You'll see the whole transition from like five years hot mess Jess to like now, like just to see what, what the hell I've been through. Um, And then underscore next shift underscore is next shifts page. Um, I try to show up in stories every day over there, but keep the content mostly like transition or mindset related. Mm -hmm. Um, and right now it's very blue and black Mm -hmm. at some point it'll start transitioning as I get more first responders involved. Mm -hmm. Um, but for right now, that's where we're at. Um, and then LinkedIn, Jessica Flores, Reed, R-E-E-D is my maiden name. It's on there as well. Cause most cops in this area know me by that. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'll include all that information in the description of the video as well. So don't feel like you got to write it all down. Um, Jessica, thank you so much for being willing to jump on and the work you're doing and the, the community you're building is needed. It's appreciated. And I'm excited to see it take off. Thank you so much. And I hope this helps your audience as well. Oh my gosh. It certainly will without a doubt. <laughs> I'll be right back with you, Jess. Yep, thank you. All right, everybody, that was another episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch with my guest, Jessica, Next Shift. Again, I will include all the contact information for her and her company in the description of this video so you can connect with them and learn more about the services they're offering. They've, they've lived it. They've experienced it. They, they get it. And I think that's half the battle for us first responders when we're looking for services is trying to find the folks who understand what we're going through and really get the mission that we're trying to accomplish as we transition out of this line of work. So like, subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. If you want to be a guest, of course, head to the raspydispatcher.com. Super easy to sign up, pick a date and time that works for you. And I'd be happy to chat until next time. Stay raspy. Thanks for joining us here on Let's Talk Dispatch. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a five-star review. Consider joining our Patreon for exclusive content, early access to episodes, and discounts on merch at theraspydispatcher.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. All of these things help support the creation of more content because... The world needs more dispatchers. Thank you all again for the love and continued support. And until next time, stay raspy.